Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. Coming up, it's Live Music Friday, and we'll have the local bluegrass phenoms, Poor Monroe, who are playing at Gateway City Arts in Holyoke live in the studio with us. And we'll talk with Michael League from the band Snarky Puppy, who are playing UMass this Monday. As it is a convergence of high holidays, we'll have an Easter egg throwdown, a blind tasting showdown between Cadbury cream eggs from England and those from the U.S. with NEPM News Department's Elizabeth Roman. But first, for Passover, the Wine Thunderdome. Why is this wine tasting unlike all other wine tastings? Oh my gosh, we're already off to the races. <laughs> well, it's because it's Passover, and Are we're we leaving an empty glass for Elijah. We should. But I'm also going to drink Elijah's because okay. I hate wasting things. We are at Provisions Long Meadow with Benson Hyde and Bruce McCamus here in the Wine Thunderdome. Two wines enter, one wine leaves. Two men enter, one man leaves. That is the premise of the Wine Thunderdome, and we're drinking kosher wine. Tis the season. Yes, it is. This is what, even if you celebrate Easter, probably what Jesus was drinking at the Last Supper. Almost certainly. And if you celebrate Ramadan, you're not drinking any of this anyway. Uh, But we hope that you enjoy the show. The sun's going down real soon. You'll be able to eat and drink again. Just a little bit. enough, it's spring. I know. (laughs) Benson, what are we going to start out with here? So I think we should probably start with the Chateau Complet, which is a Bordeaux Superior. It's a blend of Cabernet and Merlot, and it is kosher, and it is also Mevuchal. We can get into that later. Okay. But I think we should taste them and like talk a little bit about the differences, and then we can dig into maybe what some of the reasons are that they taste a little different. What does it mean it when it says Bordeaux Superior? Is that just like, it doesn't have any actual class? General, general region, yeah. yeah. You can put Superior on it without having to go through any major hoops? No, there are, no, there are some differences. Oh, okay. Yeah. A greater density of vines per hectare. So Who's high- Hector? I and uh, also higher higher alcohol content than just plain Bordeaux. It has to be higher alcohol content. Yeah. Well, well, well. Yeah. Note so, to so, self. So a good wine to, to drink at noon. You mean three yeah. or seven, three seven, depending <laughs> when you are listening to this, yeah. <laughs> or on the podcast at <laughs> nine in the morning. Bordeaux, the world's most famous blending region. For people who like to think that blended red wines are bad. You have not heard of Bordeaux, perhaps, but it is an important wine region, and just because you blend different grapes together does not make it bad. In fact, it often makes it better. Yeah. Initial thoughts on this one? It does taste boozy, smell yeah. and taste a little yep. hot, as they say in the wine world. It's dry. <laughs> it smells Bordeaux-y to yes. me. Yep. Raisiny. A little cooked. Mm-hmm. Tiny poopy. What do you think of this? I think it's delicious. If you're having brisket or something yeah. like that, I think oh, it's yeah, going to totally. go totally, incredibly well with it, even if you were not doing a... Uh, like a traditional Passover thing and we're gonna have like say barbecue I think it would be good with a like a dry rub beef brisket or something like that kosher wine got a little bit of a bad name and mostly because of Manischewitz because mostly because of Manischewitz and because so this wine is Mevushal which in Hebrew I believe does mean cooked or I don't speak Hebrew but I'm pretty sure it means cooked or heated or something and so what that means is that the wine literally has to be brought to boiling in the past that just means that you had to cook the wine which makes the wine taste cooked you know those stewed fruits it removes a lot of the freshness it removes a lot of the like depth of character so for good reason when you saw a wine that was mevushal you knew that it was going to taste a certain way and that generally if you're a wine person does not mean a good thing Mm -hmm. now they have technology where they basically run it through a pipe that flash pasteurizes it and then cools it almost immediately so there you do get a little bit of a difference 
and you might taste a little bit of some cooked fruit in here. The stewed so thing is a very thing, good way to describe still it. Plenty of freshness. So it's changed the game as far as kosher wine goes. It's almost mincemeat-y. Yeah. Dried fruit and nut, like that combination yeah. is here. Lamb shank. Yeah. Gonna go yeah. really well. Yeah. You probably already had your Seder, but you may have like a bunch of Seders this week or you know, reorganizing your schedule around different Passovers that you're trying to accomplish with different people. So this first kosher wine kosher for Passover. Is kosher for Passover? They're both kosher for Passover. Because kosher and kosher for Passover are slightly different. And you can be kosher for Passover, but not Mevushal, I believe. Mevushal, by cooking it, you uh, basically make it able to be handled by non-Jews. The goyim, be- all of us. Yes. <laughs> because so many people need to handle that bottle between the winemaker and me handing it to a customer in the store, mm-hmm. that is where it becomes important for strict practicing Jewish people. The name of this Bordeaux Superior that's kosher for Passover once again is? Chateau Complet. About how much is this? And then I'll interpret it for public radio. Approximately. Real close to a Tubman. Less than a Tubman. This is fun. Should we move on to the Rikanti? Yes. So here we're actually going to uh, Israel. Next year in Jerusalem. And this wine is not Mavushal, but it is kosher for Passover. That smells velvety. Red velvet cake. Definitely bigger, riper, richer fruit. Where in Israel is this from? The Galilee? Galilee. Yeah, there's a lot of wines that are grown in the Galilee. And that's actually one of the interesting things about trying to place a lot of these wineries. It's really hard to interpret wine maps of Israel because The Israeli government just keeps changing the lines? Exactly. They keep it complicated. Which makes it a complicated decision if you're going to purchase this, depending on your politics. From a strictly wine-tasting perspective, (laughs) it's kosher for Passover, and it's grown in the Galilee. Less stewed fruit. More freshness. More freshness. Berry juice forward. Did you say juice forward? Juice. Oh, juice forward. I see. It's also juice forward in the Galilee. I believe that Jesus is the winemaker of this one. His mother asked him to make it out of wedding. Made it out of water. Pretty good. Well done. Save a lot on your costs that way. Exactly. Yeah, you also get a lot of that sort of like vanilla from the oak. I think a lot of people don't think of Israel or the Holy Land as a wine region, but they do. There are some really very delicious serious. wines that come out of it. Very serious wine. This it seems strange because like Passover is a very long tradition, and how else would you have gotten wine into this? But the, the market for Israeli wines is it's much smaller, like compared to other wine regions. It, it is, but I think it's also one of those wine regions that's starting to get recognition. So I think we're going to see a lot more, and not all just kosher. And you mentioned uh, the grapes on this. It's just Cabernet 100%? Just, just, well, they're, they're saying 100% Cabernet. I find that pretty much 90% of wines that say just Cabernet have something else blended in there. But, yeah. Oh, the nose on yeah, this. I one is, just want to smell it the whole time. This is a really excellent wine. It feels like a, I could be convinced that this is a, a French yeah. Cabernet for sure. No, it definitely tastes old world. doesn't get much older world than uh, the Holy Land. No. Going back to the Bordeaux, it now smells like cooked cherries. Well, we better go back to the Bordeaux. Tis our duty. I'll just top you up, Monty. Thank you. <laughs> also, I said duty. Every time. Oh, you know what I'm getting now from the um, Bordeaux Superior, which I wasn't getting before? Ooh. It's more of like a eucalyptusy. A little bit more cherry, too. I think yeah. that cherry goes along with that menthol If you have allergies and you don't want to take a Hall's Mentholyptus. These are the Halls of Medicine. I have a little bit of the Chateau Champlain. I'm not sure. Bordeaux Superior. As someone with active allergies right now, I don't think that's how that How's works. How's it working? Do you yeah. feel better? I- 
sound like I really like you wish do. I had been filming my reaction <laughs> to you asking me that. Couldn't but. you hear her reaction? And, and the fact that wine has histamines in it, which actually gives people an allergic <laughs> right. reaction. Right. I talked to an allergist about this once because my wife is one of those people that can drink white wine but cannot drink red wine. And I'm like, this makes no logical sense. It's, it's not sulfites. It's most likely the histamines from the skins of red wine. The more contact with the skins, the red Those wine skins have more histamine. So if you can drink white wine and feel fine, but drink red wine and feel terrible, it may be an, an allergy and histamine. But there's a similar allergy that happens with stone fruit, where like there's an enzyme in the skins where there are people who can't eat it raw, but you can have it cooked because the enzymes basically break down in a way that makes it doable. Oh, Same so thing. I wonder with if she can drink Mabuchal wine. That would be an. <laughs> we gotta get an allergist yeah. on and have that. We gotta have an experiment. I love it. It's not just a wine. This wine is cooked. Yeah. I actually uh, am allergic to the histamines in in wine. It sometimes makes me sneezy or congested, but it doesn't stop me. I love that. That's real dedication. Thanks for spit take number two. (laughs) Shameless plug, Captain Jack of Captain Jack's Roadside Shack. Shameless plug makes great lobster rolls, allergic to lobster. Really? He can't touch really? it or gets alert. He like has to really like suit up. Oh, he does it He's for like you. my dad. <laughs> okay, here in the wine Thunderdome, provisions, yeah. Long Meadow, Benson, and Bruce. Two wines enter, one wine leaves. One wine survives all seven days of Passover. Yeah, yeah. that's right. And is consumed on all seven days of Passover. Mm. Better get seven bottles. Yeah. The two wines are Chateau Champlain, Bordeaux Superior. I'm really curious to hear what people's... Product of France, Burgundy. This and is tough. The Reconati, which is a 100%-ish Cabernet from the Galilee in the Holy Land. And he, uh, 100% with an asterisk. 100%? 60% of the time, it works every time. Bruce, what's your... I think the Reconati. It's, I like the freshness. I Just a little too cooked, the Bordeaux. I'm going to have a little bit more of the Reconati. So I can recollect the Reconati. Yeah. Rec- yeah. Got a vote there, please? I agree. I like the softness in the Reconati as opposed to the, the Bordeaux. The Bordeaux is a little just more forceful, and I have already shown in all of these that I have been to that I'm not so into wines that decide to barge their way in. Mm-hmm. That's two for the Reconati. Benson from Provisions. I have to say I think I would drink the Camplet. It has just a little bit more acidity to it, and I don't mind the slightly cooked fruit here. It almost gives it an aged character in a younger wine. Kind of like you, Benson. Yeah, kind of like me. The wine's got a little grit to it. It's good. It's on its porch telling you its old stories. Get off my lawn. Did you hear me? I said get off my lawn now. So it's one for the Bordeaux Superior from Benson and two with Bruce and Calise for the Reconati. I am surprised to say this because I am such a Francophile when it comes to wine, but when I went back and forth a couple times, tasting them side by side, I'm going with the Reconati from the Galilee. Oh, man. The Reconati wins. Yeah, well, now we got high fives in the wine, well, Thunderdome. I guess I'll just have to take that Chateau Complet home with me. Oh, darn. <laughs> Lesson learned that if you are somebody that celebrates Passover and don't already know that there are more wines than Manischewitz that you can have, especially if you, if you love wine, you definitely already know. But if you don't and want to up your Passover game, it's very easy to get some excellent wines at affordable prices that aren't made from Concord grapes and are the sweetest, weirdest, but somehow nostalgic, the most delicious tasting wine. Although one of the things that I've heard uh, from a number of my Jewish friends is that their mother still insists that Manischewitz is served. Part of it is nostalgia. Now I will say that it's okay for you to mix things. Manischewitz is a relatively okay substitution for port in punches. So if your parents insist on 
having it at the table, there's a way to make it a little more manageable. Yeah, Turn put some blackberry brandy into it. <laughs> That's not what I was thinking <laughs> or recommending, but okay. <laughs> also worth noting, Provisions is having an Italian wine. The Italians and the Jews, the two people very well connected, it seems. Speaking well, as an Italian and having yeah. so many Jewish friends and how many places we I, connect. But you're having Italian wine festival at Provisions in uh, North Amherst coming up uh, later this month. Yeah, at the Mill District. We're uh, on April 22nd. We are hosting 19 winemakers from all over Italy. Uh, it's going to support the International Language Institute, which they do some really great work in our communities. So we're hoping to show them some love. And yeah, I mean, it's going to be insane. The, some of my favorite Italian winemakers are showing up for this and it's going to be an incredible tasting event. Coming up, an Easter egg throwdown, a blind tasting showdown between Cadbury cream eggs from England and the U.S. with NEPM News Department's Elizabeth Roman. And it's Live Music Friday. We've got the band Poor Monroe live in the studio with us practicing right outside. Up next, we'll talk with Michael League from the band Snarky Puppy playing UMass this Monday. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. Michael League is a five-time Grammy Award-winning, five-time nominated producer and musician based out of Catalonia, Spain. He's the creator and band leader of instrumental music ensemble Snarky Puppy and world music group Bocante. Or correct me if I'm not saying that correctly. That is correct. All right. Oh, good old Spanish and its phoneticism. Founder of the record label and music curation source Ground Up Music and artistic director of the Ground Up Music Festival. Michael has worked with some of the most influential figures in modern music and was mentored by the legendary keyboardist Bernard Wright. As an instrumentalist and producer, he's worked with a diverse range of artists across multiple genres. And in 2020, alongside Ground Up Music Festival director Paul Lear, Michael formed the Ground Up Music Foundation, which seeks to advance music education education incentives around the world and the band he founded snarky puppy will be at umass amherst on april 10th michael thank you for joining us it is my pleasure to be here how y'all doing <laughs> okay right. for the uninitiated michael get this question out of the way snarky puppy where did the name come from and why uh you know it's the most uninteresting story in the history of uninteresting band name stories um, you know my, my which makes it was, interesting no no actually it doesn't it makes it the opposite okay mm -hmm. uh, my, my my brother was going to name a band something and he was choosing between snarky puppy and roaring mary it was an irish traditional band that my brother was playing in when he was in his 20s and they decided on roaring mary and so i i just kind of like always thought the name snarky puppy was funny you know when i first put the group together and we had our first gig i had to give it a name of some sort and i uh, I, I was kind of at a loss and it, to be honest with you it was the last thing i was thinking about was what the band would be called but i, I didn't want to call it the michael league band you know so i uh <laughs> So I called the band Snarky Puppy for our first gig because I didn't also didn't really think the band was going to last more than a show, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, we, uh, and now here we are like 20 years later. So who'd have thought? 20 years later and like 25 members, you're more of a collective in a band, I would say. From each video of yours I've seen, it incorporates some aspects. And I don't know if this is just for the videos that you put up online of silent disco. Now, for folks who don't know, Silent Disco is this thing that I think is wicked cool where you get a set of headphones and you've got the music and you get to dance, but nobody else knows what's happening. <laughs> so yeah, we see you with your headphones, like bopping out. How does that affect your performances? 
Well, I mean, we don't do that live. We only do that when we're making albums. Um, ah. That's like our, our method of making records is we go into a recording studio and we put the audience in headphones so that they're hearing the recording exactly as the band is hearing it. We did the silent disco thing, which is like wireless headphones only one time. And that was fun. But the problem is that with that, sometimes you get like radio interference. So sometimes you'll just hear like <laughs> all of a sudden instead of the music. And that was not super desirable. So we <laughs> went back to what we were doing before, which is basically plugging the audience into the same audio source as the band. It's really cool because then, you know, as an audience, it's the only time really in your life, I think, unless you're a musician, where you would ever be able to hear the music exactly how it sounds before it's mixed and before it's mastered, exactly as the band hears it as they record. a large undertaking to put like that many people to have it live but be, be live like that that's making cool it's yeah it's a lot of work it's a lot of work <laughs> and 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 a significant amount of stress and chaos but it always works out in the end you know we've had good luck so far does that method of studio recording influence the other ways that you perform like when you go out live on the road uh no i would say the opposite i would say that the way that we play live influences the way that we make those recordings because ultimately what we're doing when we make that recording is we're taking our live energy and our live dynamic moving it into a recording studio but still keeping the audience it kind of makes us in my opinion i think it makes the band focus on what's really important about playing music which is not about doing things perfectly which is the temptation when you're in a recording studio is to just think about everything being perfect all the time because you have complete control but rather you just know that you have one chance and if you mess up you mess up and who cares and that's not what you know that's not the most important thing about music the most important thing about music is communication and and creating something that has emotion and that reaches uh everyone in the room and that's what we focus on when we when we make records we're speaking with Michael League from Snarky Puppy, who's playing at the UMass Fine Arts Center on April 10th. And what is amazing here is the, the life of a touring musician. We're observing you going from what looks like some sort of indoor venue to it's like yeah. I'm watching Spinal the Tap theater. while we're talking to you over <laughs> yeah. this uh, this software that we're using to the to magic speak to you. of what, technology. Yeah, no, tell no. us what tell us what you're actually doing right now, Michael League from Snarky Puppy. I can hear you're like I'm either a real human or GPS person yeah, in no, there too. It's real. No, no, uh, no oh. Chat GPT bots driving, driving. <laughs> yeah, not yet. Um, not yet. No, I, uh, I'm just heading to the venue. We have sound check in a little bit. I'm heading over now from actually uh, from a brief little tennis match with my compadre Justin Stanton from the band. Oh, we, nice. Uh, you know, it gets very easy being on tour to like wake up. You're, you're on a bus, so you're like kind of always just like mm -hmm. sitting around and, and you wake up and you go eat and you sit around and you wait for sound check and then you sit around and you play the gig and then you go to bed. And it sounds like lazy in a certain kind of way, but actually it's really rough on your body to constantly be traveling in, in, in a bus or on planes or, or whatever. Um, I mean, being on a bus is much better than being in like a 15 passenger van, which is what we did for about 11 years. Um, <laughs> but and also from those 11 very, very, very hard years, you know, a lot of us have permanent back conditions and <laughs> so justin and i are trying to be proactive and get exercise every day that's that's what that's what we're you think it's a glorious life of a rock and roller but no it's uh no, you've got to make time for tennis yeah it has, it has its it has its moments yeah it has its moments it's glorious moments but most of it is just kind of uh tedious and and uninteresting not not the sexiest <laughs> lifestyle to, 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 despite what people might think <laughs> 
Who won? Did you win or did your bandmate win? Don't make me say that. I'm, I'm sitting next to him. Oh, so you lost. So you lost. <laughs> <laughs> Are you who he was playing tennis with? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's right there. Yeah. He must have won. I, I get it. Michael League from Snarky Puppy is playing at the UMass Fine Arts Center on April 10th. You started your own foundation, education. You've started your own record label. And on that record label, you've released music from a bona fide legend, the now sadly late David Crosby. Tell me about your relationship with David Crosby. Of course, if Crosby stills Nash and sometimes why fame. That's right. Well, you know, we met because someone in his band shared some of our YouTube videos with him. And he kind of went on like a binge of YouTube binge of our stuff and started tweeting it over and over and over like five times a day for for like a week and so finally i i sent him a, a twitter message just like hey thanks you know obviously i'm like a huge fan you know i grew up with my parents kind of like they would play deja vu on christmas day instead of christmas carols you know that's kind of uh-huh. like the kind of kind of family that i grew up in i think my dad is like he was military and and i think he always wanted to be a rock star you know mm. so he yeah he definitely you know raised us on zeppelin and the beatles and that kind of stuff so i'd always been a fan of david's you know i tweeted him and he said give me a call and so he sent me his number and I, and I called him and we talked for about an hour like not really about anything and then finally at the end I was like hey man we're about to do this record called Family Dinner Volume 2 with special guests and, and before I could really even finish he just said yes I'll do it whatever you know so I said okay great cool so he came, you know, for free to New Orleans. It was a charity album and participated on this record this along with, like, right with like Jacob Collier and Laura Mbula uh, and all of these different vocalists and instrumentalists also. And um, so he came and he did this record and we had such a good time doing it that he invited the band to stay for an extra day to record a song for a record he was making. And so we did that in the same studio. And then after after that, he invited me to produce a record of his, you know, which was basically just just uh, just him and me. We had a couple guests on a couple songs, but it was really just like kind of the two of us in the studio for a few weeks. And over that time, we just kind of became like really, really, really close friends. I mean, he I mean, I would almost say he was kind of like my weird, crazy grandpa, you know, but the, the <laughs> dynamic, the dynamic actually wasn't wasn't like that at all only in terms of age i mean it was really like friendship you know and after we made that first record he asked me to be the music director of a new band a new touring band that was called the lighthouse band with becca stevens and michelle willis who recorded on the last song of that first record that i produced lighthouse and so the four of us went on tour you know for years we were on tour uh, which was a blast but when we were on tour you'd call me dad <laughs> <laughs> because 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 David was like a little kid, you know. I mean, he was like uh-huh. a, like a, I mean, kind of more like I wouldn't say little kid, like a seventeen-year-old. You know yeah. what I mean? Like mischievous and and playful and and hilarious. And and I was always the one that was kind of like, all right, everybody, you know, like, let's, <laughs> let's keep it together here. You know, let's get back to rehearsal, whatever. So he would call me dad, you know, which was funny. So that's why I say it wasn't really like a typical relationship between like a typical like thirty-two-year-old and and seventy-nine-year-old kind of relationship. It was really great. I mean, he shared so much, gave me so much as a musician and, and as well as to Becca and Michelle. And it was a big part of our lives, you know, and always will be. So you play bass and you lead your band, which I feel is a little unusual. It is. Does that influence or change the way you think about composition, especially for a group this large? No, I think that, at, you know, generally at a, at a certain point, you stop defining your identity by your instrument. 
So I, I don't feel like Snarky Puppy's music is bassistic in mm. any way, you know? Now, if you think about Marcus Miller or something, Marcus Miller's music definitely is, like, very bassistic. He's a bass player. But Marcus also is, like, like I was saying about those other musicians, he's so much more than a bass player. I mean, he's such a heavy composer. He plays bass clarinet, plays all these different instruments and thinks in a different way. But, he, you know, he's chosen to make his band a bass band, which I think is amazing because he does it beautifully. But Snarky Puppy's not that kind of band. I think really like anybody could kind of come in and play bass and it would be fine. Whereas you wouldn't want someone else playing bass in Martin Miller's band. Now, one of the things I've noticed about the way that you guys play is like almost everybody's playing percussion. It's it's really <laughs> cool. Like the violins are still playing percussion. Like the, every instrument is somehow mm. percussive in a really interesting way. That that works very very well. Oh, thank you. No problem. Like so, your latest album is your last with Bernard Wright. What's new or interesting like what do you love about your latest album that you are excited to bring on this tour i mean i think the band this band gets bored very easily (laughs) very oh musician after my own heart (laughs) you know i mean you know in the past i used to feel sometimes that maybe it was like too easily i'd be like guys come on like let's at least get the stuff right before we start changing it you know but now i I feel the band has become this thing that's like really just like every night we go on stage we all know the music what can we do with it that's different than than we've ever done before you know and especially than last night you know but not in a way that's like forced not like you know just being different to be different but like understanding that with so much comfort with the material you can like really move laterally to a great degree without losing the essence of the composition you know and so that's kind of our daily task is like what can we get into tonight that we haven't gotten into before you know and these songs because they were originally recorded by the band playing live versus like songs that are written and then you go into the studio and you're like oh well we can overdub that later or whatever like these songs were written to be performed live so they adapted to the stage like instantly which it has not always happened in this band's case you know awesome thank you so much michael leek for for joining us and chatting with us ahead of your show i'm really looking forward to it and have a great show tonight thanks for showing us the backstage Full disclosure, UMass Fine Arts Center is an underwriter of NEPM, and UMass holds the radio license for... WFCR? WFCR, yes. Coming up, it's Live Music Friday. We've got the band Poor Monroe live in studio with us. Up next, the Easter Egg Throwdown, a blind tasting showdown between the UK and USA over who's got the better Cadbury cream eggs with the NEPM News Department's Elizabeth Roman. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. Good Friday to you. It's not a good Friday because you're forcing me to listen to Lord Andrew Lloyd Webber. I love this. This is Jesus Christ Superstar. It's his only good musical. When I was a kid, I went to Catholic Mass on Good Friday and they tried to make it multimedia. And they showed all these graphic depictions of Jesus being crucified and it traumatized me. So my mom said... That's the whole point, right? Yeah. For it to traumatize you? You don't have to go to Mass anymore on Good Friday, but you do have to listen to Jesus Christ Superstar on Good Friday. And... That was a strange uh, upbringing with my Catholicism. That is an interesting compromise to make. Yeah, and now I still love, and we the family still listens to Jesus Christ Superstar. At some point during Easter weekend, um, my son, 
my youngest, believed that John Legend, who played him in the live version on NBC, was Jesus for the preponderance of his uh, his first few years of life. Definitely more accurate depiction than what you usually get in Catholic churches. That is true. It is Easter weekend, and we have with us in the studio New England Public Media's Elizabeth Roman. We have been working as office mates since we got here in January, and we've been having all sorts of fun informal conversations. And at some point, early on in our time here, it came up that... Cadbury eggs are something that you enjoy, right, Elizabeth? I do, I do. And that I and Khalees both said, you got to get the Cadbury cream eggs from the UK as opposed to the USA because they're made with better ingredients. They're not owned by Hershey. There's a lot of debate as to like who owns the Cadbury in, in England at this point versus Hershey. And those companies are all problematic <laughs> six ways from Easter Sunday. <laughs> Chocolate is a thing that is difficult to do ethically no matter where you are. But we made the claim, Khalees and I, that the UK Cadbury eggs were better than the Hershey-based US Cadbury eggs. And we are going to go, it's kind of like an Easter egg Thunderdome right now. It is. And, and taste this on the air. Tell me about your, your love and affinity towards uh, candy and these particular <laughs> types of candy, Elizabeth Roman. Well, I'm, I'm an ice cream girl through and through. but, uh, but And you used I, to review for the, yes, for the Republican. For, I did. I did for many years. I had an ice cream column for like seven years. But with that comes, you know, offers to try candy as well. I've always loved all Easter candy. I'm a huge Peeps fan. I know some people find them disgusting, but I love them. And I, Can I, I just interrupt right quick? Yes. You are wearing Peeps on your I head am, right now. Lost on the radio listener. You'll be able to see it on the socials later. It's but continue, so cute. Continue. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I love all sorts of chocolate, and I'm just not that picky. You know, like, I know some things are better quality or whatever, but, like, I like a Hershey Kiss, you know? I like I like a, a Crunch Bar. I like regular American candy. So uh, so I think it's going to be just as good. Maybe different, but I think it'll be just as good. Do you ever eat any, like, the fancy schmancy hippie candy, like uh, 95% cacao, like Absolutely dark chocolate? Absolutely not. What is no. the point of that? That's no longer <laughs> joyful, like, super sweet, cringe. Almost like tooth hurting, yeah. You know sweetness, and that's what I'm looking my, for. I'm an I American kid, you know what I mean. After this, <laughs> all right. Our director Tony Dunn is the control. Tony has taken and unwrapped the UK Cadbury eggs that I got at Brits R Us in Northampton, right next to our old radio station. And I looked at their Facebook page. They still have a very small amount of UK version of Cadbury products left, but not that much. Uh, if this is something that interests you, one of these is the UK Cadbury egg, and one of them is the US Cadbury egg. We don't know, only Tony knows. We will taste them, we will review them, and Tony will tell us what we ultimately come out as, which is the best Cadbury egg. The suspense. The suspense is killing me. Do I just grab one? Number one. Okay, here goes. This is container number one. Elizabeth Roman grabbing an an egg out of container number one. I have got an egg out of container number one. Khalees is getting an egg out of container number one. Okay. Okay. Ooh, these are. I almost want to look at them both at the same time to see if I can tell. Oh, to see if you could tell by the appearance? Yeah, but I'm just going to eat it. Let's just go for it. Okay. It's so sweet. (laughs) Pretty sweet. For those who don't have Cadbury cream eggs often, it's a chocolate egg. Mm -hmm. And inside is a cream and a yellow. So it looks like you're eating like a hard-boiled egg. Right. I actually try to hard-boil my eggs so that they have the consistency of Cadbury cream eggs. (laughs) I'm pretty good at it. Seven Mm. minutes. Mm -hmm. Good egg. Seven minutes, I do a six-minute egg. Okay, cool. Yeah. I like it a little Extra bit yolkier. Well, mine is yolky. I guess it depends on your stove. Mm. All right. Okay. okay. Thoughts, Khalees? Um, It is so sweet. 
yes, I myself love all the bitter, dark, hippie chocolate. So, mm. yeah, we know that Elizabeth Roman does not. <laughs> Your thoughts, Elizabeth Roman? Mm, it is very sweet. It tastes like what I'm used to. So I, I you I, think this yeah, is I the USA? I think this is the US. But uh, yeah, I haven't had one since last year. So this is I waited to have one now. So it'd be it'd be super special. Very very sweet, gooey inside, nice chocolate. I'm happy with it. No okay. complaints. Sometimes I get a weird chemically taste from some like mainstream candies in the U.S. and I'm not getting that right now. Yeah. I'm so not there's a part that. of me that wonders if this is the U.K. egg. Okay, here we go. Number two. Elizabeth Roman grabs the egg from director Tony Dunn in bowl number two. Okay. They color wise, they Can look you, almost identical. Yeah, they look the there's same. There's nothing telling about the color of the two of these that would lead you to believe that there's any difference between them. Well, the design is the same too. The same design with this. Well, it looks like a, a star that you would follow on Jesus' other big holiday well, imprinted I, on there. We didn't I get any like kind of like palate cleanser, no? no, no there is no. Aquavit that we'll talk about <laughs> just a little bit here on the table. We could use well, that. I, actually, but, uh, like this one's a little more scarred, and I don't know if that's just because I, of the one that I got, but like there's – okay, we'll just – Let's dig in. Okay, let's do it. Oh, the inside looks much different. Mine mm, does, at least. Mm-hmm. A lot more mm-hmm. of the yellow, and the, oh. the the goopiness is more crystalline as opposed to creamy. No, this is the this is the U.S. one. This is the U.S. one. This I is clearly the agree. U.S. one. Yeah, it is. Like, the minute you get into the chocolate, mm-hmm. it starts tasting like plastic. This tastes like cream. Okay, let's not get crazy. I wouldn't <laughs> say it tastes like plastic. It's a, it's a mouthfeel on the chocolate thing. Like, in, like this, the inside of the U.S. one tastes better but the chocolate tastes worse like mm. i don't know for for me if you look at it when you when you open them the thickness of the chocolate on the first one is it's much thicker i don't mm. know if you're having that same experience yeah. but mine is much thicker. my yeah. thicknesses are about the same okay yeah there yeah, was a no, thing I was I gonna think... say about like the glossiness of the chocolate when you're looking at the two of them. Mm-hmm. Like there's a shine to the second one where I'm just sort of like that doesn't look like when you make chocolate like when you when you get like you know, like Baker's chocolate and you're making like ganache or something like it's not, it, there's a sh- certain thing that happens and like that, anyway. I wouldn't the second know. one I'm describing me it a weird, so well for radio. Is giving me a strange uh, throat burn. What? <laughs> a little you guys bit. are so dramatic. Not, not like it's poisoning me, but like a little heat. No, it's it's the mouthfeel of the chocolate for me. Like yeah. the, se- the mouthfeel of the chocolate on the second one feels like American, like over the counter got by it, like. But we have we don't know for sure. We don't if one no. was the um, I'm probably was wrong. the UK version or if two is the UK version. You're, which one do you think is UK, and which one do you think is better, Khalees? I think the first one is UK, but I'm probably wrong. Elizabeth Roman. I think the first one is UK. Uh, as far as better, I mean, I like them both. I will say that there is, I am not noticing a vast difference between the two of them. And I, in my mind, thought there would be a huge difference between the two of them. The only real difference I'm getting is the texture of the cream, mm-hmm. which even that is kind mm-hmm. of evened out a little bit when I gave it a little more massage with my tongue. Maybe too graphic in a, a Cadbury egg description for you right there. Um, and the little bit of the throat burn. Director Tony Dunn, reveal to us which egg what, is which. What was your pick, Monty? For better, I but, think no. For for UK or US, I think UK is. I I also think it's the first one. I think we all think that. You are unanimously correct. Ah, yeah! Yeah! 
<laughs> so we can at least tell the difference. That's awesome. But I uh, I don't think there's a vast difference in actual taste. There's a ta- there is a distinct difference in the taste of these two chocolates. The chocolate, yes. The yeah, cream, the cream, no. no. Yeah. The that's... chocolate, yes. The cream, no. But in both cases, I feel like the cream overpowers the chocolate anyway. Right. So the, ch- the chocolate's not that much more important. Now, talk to me about the price of an of a Cadbury egg <laughs> for the British version versus the American, because I got mine two for two fifty. dollars <laughs> Yeah. You're and not they... supposed to talk about price. <laughs> yeah, this is public meeting. We oh, I'm sorry. Prices. I'm sorry. You're supposed to be the example for us, Elizabeth Roman. <laughs> I'm we're not saying ones. go buy it. We're the new kids who get in trouble. How would Kai Rizdahl talk? about it on marketplace no 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 uh they're expensive if you try to get the imports from brits r us (laughs) so duly noted elizabeth roman we've been looking for this uh looking forward to this since uh, we moved into the office with you thank you for doing this with us so much fun we hope to do more fun candy and other food tastings with you in the future I'm happy to be here, and uh, I got some candy. And now you have two eggs to eat. That's great. That's right. (laughs) Coming up, we'll be joined live in studio on Live Music Friday by the band Poor Monroe. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. Welcome back to The Fabulous 413. It's Live Music Friday, where we try to find a band that is local and playing in the area, or a band that's coming to our local area to play, and we are thrilled to have in the studio with us, Poor Monroe. I happened to be at an event with comedian Jimmy Tingle on Saturday night, and he wanted to go to the Waitley Diner really late at night, and then I got invited to a party even later after that, and I show up at the party, and who is there but the guitarist behind Poor Monroe, Eric Lee, who joins us in the studio now, and you had at the party that was Easter-themed, delicious gravlocks. Oh, yeah. And we have the recipe that we will share on our social medias or on our website. Uh, so if you want to make Eric Lee's gravlocks, and we're also going to taste some aqua beet because we've already had Cadbury eggs and wine <laughs> on the show today. Why not have the aqua beet that I mentioned? But let's introduce the band, and then we'll hear a song. All right, so this is the members of Poor Monroe. We have Sean Davis on the guitar. Over there, the Jewel of Worcester, as I know him as. (laughs) The Jewel of Worcester, we have um, John Benjamin on mandolin from Spofford, New Hampshire. And we have Chris Boucher from Northampton, Massachusetts. All right. Gareth Buckley is not with us. He's our bassist. We couldn't fit him in the studio. It's pretty small here. He's a big guy. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's a tune. On that resurrection morning, when the trumpet of God shall sound, we shall rise, we shall rise. When those saints come rejoicing, and no tears will ever be found, we shall rise, we shall rise. We shall rise, hallelujah, amen. We shall rise on that resurrection morning, when Prison bars broken, we shall rise, we shall rise. On that resurrection morning, blessed thought it is to me, we shall rise, we shall rise. When our fathers and mothers and loved ones will see, we shall rise, we shall rise. We shall rise, hallelujah, we shall rise, amen. We shall rise on that resurrection morning when those prison bars are broken. We shall rise, we shall rise. 
On that resurrection morning, we will meet him in the air. We shall rise, we shall rise. I will meet the loving Savior in a home so bright and fair. We shall rise, we shall rise. We shall rise on that resurrection morning when those prison bars are broken. We shall rise. We shall rise. That is the band Poor Monroe, Eric Lee, Sean Davis, Chris Boucher, and John Benjamin. We didn't even ask for an Easter song, and we just got one. We just one got an Easter perfect. song. The best part about that one was, like, you got all your instruments there, the guitars and the banjo and the mandolin, all like you're ready to launch. It's like you're in a club <laughs> waiting for the beat to drop. And she, you know, didn't play him at all. You just <laughs> sang through that whole song. Little surprises. What got you interested as, uh, you know, younger people in the, the kind of old-timey bluegrass music? We can go right down the line. Eric? Uh, for me, it was, um, you know, my mom grew up in Iowa, and so I heard her. She was the organist in her church, so I heard a lot of the hymnal music. Um, and then I started learning fiddle, and then I heard, you know, the Olden in the Way. I heard the um, Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, Circle Be Unbroken. And anytime I heard Vassar Clements play, I just wanted to, I wanted to be him, uh-huh. <laughs> you know. So and I just love that, and so that's that's got me into it. Banjoist Chris Boucher. Yeah, I, you know I grew up around here and started playing in church around here. Um, so I played guitar, but then my dad brought me to a place I bet we all know called the Conway Inn, uh-huh. where bluegrass players play around uh, the pool table, uh-huh. and it fused some of the stuff I knew about music with this great sense of community, and that I, there was no looking back for me. Love it. Mandolinist, John Benjamin. Yeah, you know, I came to bluegrass a little bit uh, late in the game compared to a lot of people, like in my 20s. Uh, I grew up uh, playing, you know, trumpet and jazz band in school, listening to a lot of different kinds of music, and uh, kind of discovered some of the more progressive players in my 20s, like Bela Fleck and Sam Bush and guys like that, and that really hooked my ear, and I was lucky enough to make it up to some of those big festivals out where I grew up in Colorado, like uh, Rocky Grass and Telluride Bluegrass, and that just completely blew my mind and introduced me to so many artists, and then really hooked me to start going back in time and hearing all the roots, and uh, I've never looked back since then. Guitarist Sean Davis. My dad played in a band and still plays in a band. Uh, Slowgrass. Shout out to Slowgrass. S L O G R A S S. Slow stands for sustainable, local, and organic. He played, and he's a great music listener. And you know, he had tons of old records, Beatles, um, old jazz stuff. Um, but he loved listening to bluegrass and. It just became a fun thing to play after I learned guitar. So it seems like not a one of you plays just one instrument. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yep. yeah. it's, a, it's a diversity we absolutely encourage, but like, do you know amongst the, the four slash five, well, no, we'll just do four because there's only four of you in studio today. How many ends do you play? I'll, uh, oh, man. One, two, three. Honestly, four, the five, only six. instruments I say I play are guitar. That's still two. Yeah. You play guitar. I play guitar. I'm, I'm not going to pick up my trumpet. I'm going to be honest. It's been a while since I've, I've practiced. So yeah. I like to think I play bass, but b- bass players don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Very That's true. Two. I play four, counting bass, which I've gotten paid to play bass. So I so guess that professional counts. Yeah, bass player. Me. And that was after the gig. They uh-huh. paid me. So I get, you know, <laughs> accidentally so professional bass player. So that's four. 
And then Chris. I mean, I play banjo. I started on guitar, and I play a little bit, and I mean a little bit of uh, of accordion. All right. It's yeah. a lot of instruments. Well, we're pulling into the band, Chris. We're yeah, talking to the band Four Monroe. They're playing Gateway City Arts in Holyoke tomorrow, Saturday night. Mm -hmm. Yes, please do come out to that. Should be fun. Let's hear another tune. All right. This one, this is for the, this is an old old tune uh, that we are going to be putting on our new record. Um, it's a Monroe Brothers. It's called uh, Little Girl and the Dreadful Snake. It's a cautionary tale. <laughs> Don't play with snakes. Unless they're not venomous and, you know, have a good temperament. Or your pet. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Plenty of snakes. Friends. Don't play with unfamiliar snakes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go into venomous snake I ID, uh, you know, details. Anyway. <laughs> Our darling wandered far away while she was out in play. Lost in the woods, she couldn't hear a sound. She was our darling girl, the sweetest thing in all the world. We searched for her, but she couldn't be found. I heard the scream of our little girl far I ran as fast as I could through that dark and weary wood, but I reached our darling girl too late. Oh, I began to sigh, knew that soon she'd have to die. For the snake was born in me, close by, I held her close to my face. She said, Daddy, kill that snake, it's getting dark, tell Mommy goodbye. I heard the scream of our little girl far away, hurry Daddy, there's an awful dreadful snake. I ran as fast as I could through that dark and weary wood, but I reached our darling girl too late. To all parents I must say, don't let your children stray away. They need your love to guide them along. Oh, God, I pray we'll see our darling someday. I can still hear the voice around our home. I heard the scream of our little girl far, far away. Hurry, Daddy, there's an awful dreadful snake. I ran as fast as I could through that dark and weary wood, but I reached our darling girl too late. Did she die? 
Yeah. Oh, I thought you were gonna resurrect at the end like that other song. <laughs> no, there's a chance. There's a chance. Oh. Left hey, we got one more song. There's some hope. There's always hope. There's always hope. <laughs> well, we do there's only have always snakes, though. Yeah, we only have about a minute left. But um, you did, Eric Lee, bring in the Aquavit that you made with your Gravelox oh, recipe yeah. that will be available on our website. We want to give a quick shout out to the Aquavit before we uh, wrap up the show here. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, actually pretty exclusive, and uh, don't tell my girlfriend Linnea because uh, she doesn't know this that I brought this. This is from Norway. Live on air. Yeah, we want nobody friend. listens. Nobody listens. <laughs> well, it's uh, it's from Norway. This is a summer aquavit, and it's they have specific aquavits for every particular occasion and dish that you could imagine, and I love it. And I use that for the gravlocks that you've had. Yeah, so and they were they were exquisite. It was a, a nice midnight snack after a midnight snack with a comedian and former <laughs> lieutenant gubernatorial candidate in Greenfield on Saturday night. So we have like a minute and a half left. Can you do one of those like play us out through the end of the show while we do the credits? Sure. For Monroe, who are playing at Gateway City Arts and in Holyoke yeah, on Saturday night. Random aside, throwing out that it's Bandcamp Friday, so maybe check out where you can get their music. I'm saying maybe, I'm not saying to go. You have to, yes. If you <laughs> wanted to go to Bandcamp Friday, play us out for Monroe. Oh, home days. Oh. Oh, home days. Oh, home days. Won't you spare me over to another day? Thanks for listening to the Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. I'm Glee Smith. We'll, we'll see, see you on, on Monday. Monday.